Welcome to the Ask Zach Show. I'm your host, Zach Childs. I've spent the last 30 years working in the music industry here in Nashville, Tennessee, during which I've done everything from touring with major artists like Brad Paisley and Carrie Underwood to playing the nastiest dive bars or even the occasional wedding. This show is all about barreling down the rabbit hole on all things guitar and the music we love. We will cover the legendary players, gear insights, and even some interviews along the way. I hope you enjoy. To support the show, follow the links in the description to find out about my Patreon page. Or go to my store at AskZach.com to pick up a coffee mug or t-shirt. Now, let's dive in. Hello friends and welcome to Ask Zach. Today we're going to talk about this cream cheese ombre stone that I got at this coffee shop called Public Us. I have to say, this is like, the top is almost like a sugar cookie. It has a wonderful glaze on it. And it has some creamy, smooth cream cheese and uh, wonderful blueberry flavor, wonderful texture. I give it a, uh, a 10 out of 10. It's a, uh, a real treat. And as soon as my coffee will get here, it will be the perfect complement to the other. And it's going to be an amazing day. This is you know, street talk with Ask Zach. So one of the things I really love about guitars is that there's just this random quality where the right pickups, the right body, and the right neck will all go together. And it's just kind of like you can't really make it happen. I mean, there's also the, the, the getting it set up properly and things like that. But still, there's just these times where, you know, where a new guitar can just be amazing. And it's like you don't have to have some old piece of wood. So it just blows my mind. It's like every time I think, you know, vintage is everything, then all of a sudden I'll find a new guitar that's just ridiculously great and plays great and sounds great and responds well when you're playing live. And you play as many guitars as you can. And, uh, you know, and, and if you're putting a guitar together, sometimes, you know, you keep swapping parts on it, keep swapping bodies and necks and whatever until you get the thing that, that finally is magic for you. Here's a specific example. A friend of mine built me a teller and it was good but it wasn't like amazing and he ended up just getting another body and putting on there and all of a sudden it was like everything came together and part of it was that the body was lighter so i'm a big believer and i really think the golden weight area on a telecaster is six and a half to seven pounds and that might sound ridiculous to some and some people say oh heavy guitars are great too but there's something about having to do with the moisture content that's in wood and then it dries out and it just feels like it can it gets more resonant and i know that might be again food to people that think tone comes from the pickups alone this one guitar we switched out the body and it went from being a little over seven pounds to being six and a half and it was just so much more resonant and i don't know if it was just that piece of wood and that the that neck and that body they decided they were partners or something like that but all of a sudden the guitar went from being good to just amazing i've actually played that guitar for the last three or four weeks that's pretty amazing you know for me because that 57s car is still my favorite guitar but this one is just so nice and it responds so well and you know i've been gigging with it and it's like it does what i want it to do 
it responds to me. It's been fun to have a new guitar that, you know, it just does what I want it to do and sounds great. And it kind of made me, uh, I still like finish and it's still fun. But it's nice to know that it's, it is possible to put together a new guitar that's great. So this, of course, is a guitar that y'all have seen a couple times. This is uh, nicknamed the Brad Ocaster for obvious reasons. Uh, we're using this guitar. It's got uh, it's got Ron Ellis pickups in it at this point. It originally had some others, but it's got a 52T and a standard plus. And of course, I've wired it where the tone controls only on the bridge. Uh, got a cool uh, Dano Caster aged strap on here that he did. And uh, this guitar is working out really well. B-Bender. Yeah. This is an old Framus guitar made in Germany. It has a lot of really neat aesthetic accoutrements. Uh, you know, I love these, uh, you know, I guess you can't call them F-holes. Looks almost like birds or something like that. And of course, I love this uh, pick guard mounted electronics and the, and the pickups even mounted on there. So this is probably from the 50s or early 60s. This is a, and I'm reading this, I don't know this, remember, this is a Black Rose Deluxe. Big, huge, fat neck. We got a zero fret on here. We got this purloid overlay and the white, you know, I mean, this red kind of, uh, you know, painted on binding. And you've got these big old inlays on the fretboard. This is really a gorgeous piece. Really fun red burst. Really cool guitar. And this is that, uh, Sonic Rodeo in Las Vegas. This is our bigger reversal room. So we just kind of yeah. wrapped it with a bunch of uh, more or less iconic artists. Yeah, that's cool. Laura Orbison, Gene Autry, Johnny Cash, Loretta Lynn, Charlie Crowd, Ray Price, Chet. Here we have the burnt telly. I made this back in, Jesus, 2009, 2008, somewhere in there. Uh, the neck comes from the first guitar my father ever bought me back in 1988 or 89. It's from a Squire. Obviously, I changed it to make it look like a regular. The body. The company I was working for was putting up shelving in one of our closets. So we had a deep shelf top, and then the back is literally two by fours just glued together. Okay. So while it may look bitching, it, 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 there's just. Uh, weather treated pine is not a tone wood by any stretch of the imagination. So I decided to throw on also the first pickup I ever bought which is uh, an 89 DiMarzio Super Humbucker. And then I found a Seymour Duncan 59, hoping that maybe the pickups would make up for it. Too little, not enough, just just not there. It's such a controversial subject, like because guys will say that you know the wood doesn't make any difference Oh, I, you couldn't be more wrong. Yeah, you could because it has to do with the resonance, and that's the pickup is going to pick up the resonance, yeah. how long the strings are going to sustain. And also, it's just hard when 
you know, when, when the wood is super dense, it just makes it to where, to me, you get a harder sound, and it just, you know, especially when a body's heavy, it just makes it where... Oh, it's brighter. Yeah. yeah, it's a lot brighter. But yeah, that's the story of that's really cool. Burning Man. Yeah. I've never called it that before, just jumping around. <laughs> and I think I'm going to give it, give it the same burnt treatment. Yeah. Um, after I get some of the problems, where I get some flat spots on the side and roundover's not that great. And being a firebird, I might do that quarter inch, you know, step up strip right here. Oh, yeah. Haven't decided. But at the end of it all, it's this body with that treatment. Same with the neck. I'm hoping that that flame, that beautiful flame, comes out even after I strip it down. Because obviously to burn it, I'm going to have to strip the finish off. Yeah. Right, right. And then I've got to route it so that a Stratocaster 25 and a half inch scale fits a Gibson 24 and three quarters. Yes. So it's going to have to get bumped into about there. But it should be fun. If I ever get two minutes to rub together, I'll work it out. Yeah. Is that ash? Yes. Yeah. yeah, it's not that heavy, so it should be a pretty well, a pretty good guitar. And I like the reverse because they balance. Yeah. You know, when you're doing like this and your strap button's way back here, yeah. it tends terrible. to yeah, it tends to dive on you. Do you feel like the burning process changes the guitar at all? Like like you know, since I've never thing. done anything with construction materials, it's hard yeah. to tell. Yeah. You just you just don't know. Hardware is kind of a controversial subject and here's something that happened with me. So I bought a sixty seven telecaster that had you know the uh, the grooved saddles on it. So I decided to change the saddles out because I wanted them to be intonatable and I didn't really know about, you know, bending the screw to do that. And I ended up getting these really high-end fancy saddles for the guitar and all of a sudden it sounded completely different. And I immediately pulled them off and the thing I noticed when I was going to put the original saddles back on was that the weight differential was enormous. The original saddles that were on that 67 Tele, the grooved ones, they weighed nothing. I mean, they were light as a feather, cheap, soft metal. Leo Fender did that on purpose because it cost less. They're not going to go through their equipment as fast, you know, blades and, and such. And so he used, because it was cheaper, he used soft, cheap, light metal. And so here's what happens when you change to the heavier like tighter tolerance stuff, what happens is you change the kind of balance between fundamental and harmonics. Because when you have the cheap light stuff, you kind of have fundamental and you have kind of harmonics are kind of, you know, in more equilibrium. But when you put heavier duty hardware, all of a sudden the fundamental gets to be a lot louder than the harmonics. And so this happens with, I don't care if you're talking about a Tele, a Strat, a Les Paul, it's like when you put a Tone Pros bridge or some type of high-end bridge on a Les Paul, all of a sudden harmonic level comes down. Well, it's not really coming down. What's happening is the fundamentals getting louder. And so it changes the sound. And some people like it. And it's great if you like it because it gets to where it's a more kind of in your face. But some of us like the bloom and we like the, the harmonic stuff going on too. And so for me, it's like... I don't, I like rattly, you know, kind of cheap, you know, bridges and saddles and stuff. It's like the original, you know, bridge on a Telecaster, same thing. Yeah, you know, he's using low level, you know, 
thin metal because it's easy to bend, it's easier to tool. And so that allows, uh, again, it doesn't have as much fundamental, has more of this harmonic stuff going on, and it's like, to me, I like that sound. It, it kind of contributes to the classic Telecaster sound. As soon as you put a heavier duty bridge, even if it's three saddle, you put thicker steel on there, it has more fundamental. And that changes the sound. If you like it, that's great. But if you're wanting the old Tele sound, you've got to use the thin, cheap bridge plate. And you've got to use, you know, lightweight, whether it's brass or steel saddles, because that's part of the sound. And when you start putting heavy stuff, again, whether it's a, a Les Paul bridge or whatever, it just kind of, it messes with things. But it's just whether you like it or not. I mean, Keith Richards uses those heavy-duty Schecter bridges on his Tellys, you know, and he loves it. So as soon as you bring up the density of those steel parts, you know, you get more of the fundamental sound, which is different. And it just depends on whether you like it or not. And if you're playing through, you know, some big amps at really high volume and with a lot of distortion, well, maybe you like that better. Maybe you want that going on. You know, but if you're playing through a deluxe or a, a twin or something like that, you know, and you want that doinkiness, and you want the cheap bent steel uh, you know, bridge or bent steel saddles like you see on an old strap. It just has a sound. You're not getting as good a coupling with the less dense parts and the fact that they can kind of rattle around and such. And you're getting better coupling with the heavy-duty parts. And of course, you know, there are builders that will sand the bottom of a Telecaster bridge. Like a thicker Telecaster bridge and they will sand the bottom of the bridge so that it is just dead flat because they want to have better coupling. Another thing they'll do is they'll add screws to the bridge. So you don't just have the, the screws on the back holding it down. They'll put screws on the front part of the, of the top bridge because they're trying to get as much coupling as possible, which again, it gives you this really assertive, fundamental sound. But everything comes at a cost so, so what do you like so let's talk about like abr1 bridges on gibsons well you know they have this bridge and it has no wire at first well then people start having problems with some of the saddles flying off when a string breaks or when they're changing strings and what is their solution they add a piece of like paper clip wire it would have cost thousands and thousands of dollars to retool the way they were making the bridges while all they had to do was add these two little holes and then they bend a paperclip piece and plug it in i know it's just but they did that because they you know it would have been too expensive and it's like they, they couldn't have done it because i mean that bridge was on all their guitars at that point it was on everything except for the junior no, but every, everything else had the ABR1 on it. And they were even starting to put it on acoustics and such. They had to have a solution that was inexpensive. But that's another one of the things. It does the same thing. All that stuff on an ABR1, on a vintage one, it's all rattling around. And it's like cheap, light metal. As soon as you upgrade that to something with closer tolerances that fits really tight, well, it doesn't sound the same. Because you've done the exact same thing as in the Telecaster example. You have raised the fundamental way over the harmonics and again you might like that you might like that sound it is more assertive but it doesn't have all that other you know i know people like to use crazy words like bloom and stuff like that but there is there's more bloom and other things going on when you have the cheap rattly 
ABR1 or an old strap bridge or an old Telecaster bridge because everything's not fitting so tight together and it's not getting crazy. Going back to this this new telly that a friend put together for me again that we had swapped all sorts of parts on and everything and even done some uh, you know some adjusting of uh, of the bottom of the neck and the heel on one of the bodies and such. You know it comes down to all these pieces coming together and finding out what works and then all of a sudden you have this really inspiring guitar to play. So it's like, I just got the guitar a couple weeks ago, and now here I'm in Vegas, and I've already used it two nights, you know, so I've got eight solid hours of, like, gigging on it, and it is so inspiring to play. It's just, like, it's so much fun to play, and part of it is, yeah, a friend built it for me, it's a cool guitar, but it just, it feels good, it sounds good, and I'm not even, you know, running through an amp, I'm using, like, a Dream 65 and going direct, because that's kind of what we had to do, but... Even through that, it's really inspiring to play. And it's like, I keep, you know, picking it up and it keeps challenging me. It cuts through. It has, yeah, and it responds well to my hands and I'm inspired, you know, while I'm playing it. It's, I mean, it's fun to play. Fender guitars are basically parts guitars. And the fun of that has kind of been, as far as like the vintage stuff has been taken away because things have gotten so expensive. So it used to be fun to buy old necks and put you know put it on a new body and use new pickups and stuff like that that was a thing 20 years ago 15 years ago you could get a maple cap you know telly neck from the you know mid to late 60s you know all the time you know that were you know under a thousand dollars but then when you're paying you know three thousand dollars or more you know, for a maple cap neck, and then you're talking about thousands and thousands of dollars for like a, uh, a, a pre-65 rosewood board or maple neck, you know, you're talking about huge money, so that kind of thing is kind of dead, but that's what Dan Strain, Dan Castro, he used to do that, he used to get maple cap necks and put new bodies with them, and he would, he would do them for himself, and then sometimes he'd end up, you know, selling them with friends of his, and even like Rick Holmstrom, Staples, he will, you know, he has like some mid-50s, you know, Phoenix that he'll put on a, a new, you know, like a custom shop body or something like that, and then put Ron Ellis or whatever kind of pickups in there, and, uh, and you can do that, but those kind of days are kind of gone, but the great thing is, is that there's all these great parts that are out there, and it's like, and you can, you can buy a telly, you know, it's already put together, and you can just swap parts on it or whatever, but I mean, this is a, it's a fun thing that you can do. And you can find a guitar that really works well together because again, they're they're parts. And uh, and if you're you know getting parts, you know from the beginning, you don't feel bad about swapping stuff out either because you know some people will get all wound up in you know the worth of something. So experiment, you know, swap stuff around. Crook Paisley that I've switched back from uh, so it was a G bender for a bit while I did that video, and then I just found it was too crazy for me going back and forth um you know having one guitar with a b and one with a g and every time you pull down it'd be like okay which is it and so i switched back to a, uh, a b bender so that's the way it's wired up and of course uh, both guitars are diadario nyxl 9544 strings which i've really been a big fan of for quite a while now
part swapping and hot rodding. So they really kind of go hand in hand because what you're ending up doing is you're wanting to personalize the guitar. You're wanting to make it to where it suits the way you play, the way you want it to look, the way you want it to respond, the sounds you want it to have. And it goes back to the beginning. I mean, it goes back to Les Paul and Chet Atkins and even, you know, players from the 30s and 40s. They were all, you know, swapping out things, changing out, you know, bridges, changing out the pickups, you know, trying different things because they were, they were trying, to, well, at times they were just trying to be heard, but they're trying to get a good sound. But even Les Paul, you know, one of, one of the great hot rodders and tinkers, he had his personal Les Paul customs that he played, not the, like, I mean, even his original gold top, he put like a Diarmond pickup and he did all sorts of stuff to it. But then he had Gibson make him some Les Pauls that had a flat top that weren't hard because he wanted to be able to experiment more with pickups. And he knew that it was going to be easier for him to swap out pickups and put different type of pickups in if it had a flat top instead of a carved top. Like Leo Fender designing the Telecaster with that bridge cover on it. I mean, that was the way the, he envisioned the guitar being played. But I, in a conversation I had with James Burton, he got his 52 Tele in 1952 when he was 13 years old. And the first thing he did as a 13 year old was he pulled that cover off. And he said was he was the first one to take it off and play it that way. All these things are to make the guitar more responsive to you. And you know, you have the aspect of just tinkering to tinker. Sometimes when you get something, you feel like it's not really yours until you start messing with it. And I'm guilty of that, and a lot of guys are. It's like, you can get a perfectly good guitar, and you feel like, well, I've gotta do something to it to make it mine. So every guitar I get, probably one of the first things I do is I rewire it, you know, which means basically I, I change, you know, one connection. And, uh, you know, I can always put it back, but uh, yeah, even like this guitar that I, just, that I just got, you know, one of the first things I did was I rewired it. So, just subtly, but again, you know, because that's what I'm comfortable with. I like it when the neck pickup doesn't have any tone control on it, so that way it can be as bright and clear as possible. And it'll help me, you know, cut through the mix when I'm on a neck pickup. Because I like a darker you know, bridge pickup sound. And when you, if you just flip over to the neck, all of a sudden it's, it's, it's just too dull. You know, it's like when people have been putting Floyd Roses and humbuckers on strats like Dan Huff you know, did, you know, back in the 80s, and it's all because you were trying to make a tool where you could use it, and it would do what, what you wanted it to do, what you needed it to do for your work, and that's what it all comes down to, it's like you want something that'll, that will, that will work in the gig that you're playing, and, uh, yeah, and sometimes you come up with really cool things, like I, I think it's cool that Dan Huff still plays that, that old 63 Strata his, I think he has put like a Wilkinson tremolo bridge on there he's taking the Floyd off but it still has like the JB humbucker and the two hot strat stack you know pickups in the in the neck and middle and and it's like you know that's that's a cool guitar that's an iconic guitar that's been used on so many sessions you know in LA during the 80s and then you know during the 90s and, and onward in Nashville and it still still plays the thing that's uh that's cool I like it when guys kind of get attached to a guitar and they use one throughout their career and uh, and especially if they get it dialed in and they kind of 
stop he heavily modifying it. It's, it's kind of cool because then you feel like it kind of arrived. different from the last time I went. The last time I used, they have some Boss Katana amplifiers here, which are fine, but uh, I really wanted to have a little more control and also wanted to, you know, kind of help with the stage volume and kind of help them bring it down a little bit. And so I decided to use an amp modeler and I normally would have used the Iridium, which I have, and recently uh, I picked up one of these Dream 65s. And the reason I did was mainly not so much for the sound, because of course I hadn't really heard it and hadn't ever used one, was because it has uh, tremolo and reverb on it. And you can set it to where the two foot switches uh, do like a boost function and then the tremolo, and then you can have it where the reverb is on all the time, which is what I've done. I like the Dream 65, it's a, it's a cool pedal, it sounds good. The one kind of note is that uh, you can see here, I've kind of had to turn the treble down pretty low and the bass up a lot, which I know that's just kind of like knob psychosis, if you will. I know we can all get crazy about where the knobs have to be set, but I did have to kind of set the bass and the treble uh, kind of at extreme low and extreme high settings. Um, yeah, but uh, enjoying it, it sounds good. Uh, I'm using in-ears, but also, you know, we have some monitors. Uh, they're also, and there's some coming through the monitors too. But uh, this is a, you know, this is a good thing. I, I don't know that I'm uh, completely sold. It definitely sounds like they modeled the vibrato channel on a deluxe reverb. While on the, in the, on the Iridium, on its deluxe reverb setting, it sounds like they modeled the normal channel, which of course is the difference between it having a bright cap or not. And so this pedal just seems to be brighter than the Iridium, and tonally. And then of course it has the advantage of reverb and tremolo. And the reason I really like it having the, the effects on there is that I can use my regular pedal board that I would use with an amp, and all, all I have to do is add this. While if I add the Iridium, I have to add a reverb pedal and a tremolo pedal or a, you know, a flint or what have you. So this is a, a, a good box. I'm, I'm, I'm liking it, but uh, I'm a little bit uh, concerned about the, uh, the brightness of it. The other thing that was interesting was going through all the different speakers, and I really like the Greenback uh, 25 sound the best on it. But uh, yeah, sounds good. As you get older, <laughs> <laughs> and not to sound like old man talk, but warming up your hands becomes more and more important. And I think when you're when you're first starting out, there can be a tendency to be like, you'll hear a lot of guys say that don't warm up. They'll be like, oh, it took me a song or two to kind of get into it. Well, what really helps is if you warm up your hands before you play. But I'll just play very chromatic things, you know, just with a straight pick, you know. Is that something that a teacher maybe taught you to do, or just no. kind of something you came into for yourself? It's just something I came into, you know, on my own out of necessity, because when my hand pain was was really high, 
it was really necessary. And now I just find that I play better starting off on the first song instead of it being like second or third song in where it's just like, oh yeah, now we're now we're into it. Mm-hmm. But it's amazing how many you know athletes uh, you know warm up all the time. Yeah, we don't think anything about it. You're an athlete. You're an athlete with your hands and with your voice. And people need to you know, get these things in gear. And so then to get my pick and fingers kind of going, I do this. So I'm working on my coordination and my connection between my two hands. And I'll just keep moving. And sometimes I'll do a little. A rake. Up yeah, too. that's a good thing. I it's, like, that. It's, it's another, you know, thing of like, you know, getting, you know, these things of just getting the hand warmed up so that when you get on stage and you do the first song, it's not like, oh, what's going on? And, you know, and then it's like second, third song in, you know, you're saying, oh man, now I'm, now I'm good. So, and you're also playing with the tape on the left hand in too. Yeah. Just so keeps I, it in a position. Yeah. So this, this is a kinesiology tape and uh, I, you know, I, I like to use the flesh color. That's not a tone secret or anything. No, it's not a tone <laughs> Is that where the secret weapon is? Is it, the tape? The tape is the secret weapon. No, it's, uh, this, this helps keep my hand in the right position throughout the day. Because you've had problems. Yeah, because I've had this problems. This is not a guitar player hack, per yeah, se. Yeah, this is not a guitar player. This is for guys with, that happen to have arthritis in the CMC joint. So I do this, and of course I prefer to have the flesh colored, but I also have a bunch of blue ones, which I'll, I'll use normally around town, but when I'm playing in front of people, you don't really want to be calling attention to the tape. So I try to use you know, flesh colored, and then of course you've got, um, or my flesh color, and then of course you've got, uh, you know, a shirt and stuff to kind of cover up the edge there. But yeah, those things really help me, and then I ice my hand uh, after we play. So I usually, uh, if, if my hand is getting sore in the middle, like in, in the middle of playing, then I will get a bucket of ice, and I will, I will ice my hand in between sets. But this is night four, yes, and uh, and so and my hand hasn't really been sore. So just at the end of the night, I will just ice my hand. listening to the Ask Zach podcast. If you want to dive deeper, check out my website, askzach.com, to find more articles and further info on each episode. And remember, it is the support from you, the listener, that keeps the show going. Thank you, friends.